Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one comforting page of Talmud every day. And today's pages, Chagiga 25 and 26, kick things off with a brief meditation on the very subject of comfort and home and what it means to be secure in your place of dwelling. Have a listen. The Gemara raises a difficulty. And let the residents of the Galilee place the wine and oil and transport it to Judea in a closed box, a chest, or a closet, whose contents cannot contract impurity, as they have the status of separate tents. The Gemara answers, in accordance with whose opinion is this Mishnah? It is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who said, A throne tent i.e. a moving tent, is not called a proper tent, and therefore its contents are subject to impurity. In other words, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi knows that a moving tent or an impermanent residence offers none of the protection against impurity that we might expect to find in a more permanent tent, in a residence that keeps us safe from the tribulations of the world outside. On any given night in America, the richest nation the world has ever seen. More than half a million people experience homelessness. It's a maddening fact, and few struggles are as morally and physically urgent as the fight to end homelessness. Last week, standing side by side with New York City's Mayor Eric L. Adams, Shams DeBaron, also known as the homeless hero, shared his story of how he went from despair to hope and from living on the streets to fighting for adequate and practical solutions to homelessness. Have a listen. I was that person that you see in the streets and the subway. I had nowhere to go. I did seek help, but help was hard to find. So y'all know my name is Shams the Baron. I was, I was born to parents who struggled with addiction. At the age of two, I became part of the foster care system. At the age of 10, I became homeless. At the age of 12, I was permanently discharged into the streets. I grew up in the gang era of the 70s and crack era of the 80s, but I had the wits to survive when many of my friends went to jail or, or they died. And I saw myself descend more and more into a state of where it got so bad for me that at one point it was anger that I might have taken out on other people. And then it got to the point where I wanted to hurt myself. And I was in the subway looking at those trains and saying to myself, I can't take it no more. A subway ain't a home. I'm not fighting for that. I don't like to see them in the streets. That ain't no home. I'm not fighting for that. I'm fighting to get them housed. And today, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to Take One, the homeless hero himself. Welcome to the show, Shams the Baron. Oh, oh, I'm honored to be here. I appreciate it. So last week, we saw you standing in a press conference with New York City Mayor Eric Adams talking about all kinds of things a city could do to fight homelessness. But I, I want to hear more a little bit about your story. T tell me a little bit about your childhood. Well, I grew up in foster care since the age of two. I first started experiencing homelessness at the age of 10 
And I was permanently discharged into the streets without a safety net at the age of 12. So I grew up in the gritty streets of the Bronx and in Harlem. And I was an academic star, a pioneer of hip hop, despite those, you know, challenges. But unfortunately, in the 80s, you know, we had the crack epidemic. So I descended into street life and, you know, it was it was difficult, you know, out of survival, being uh, immersed in that world. But fortunately, when I started having children, I transitioned out of that street life and began to go back into my communities and save people from the same things that I saw destroying the community. But I struggled as a single parent. Obviously, I wasn't making the same amount of money. I struggled as a single parent as I tried to, you know, make sure that my son had a lot of the opportunities that I didn't have. Uh, So it's not all gloom and doom, but in that struggle to keep him situated, I ended up as a single adult experiencing homelessness. I want to take you, though, back even even before you had kids. So, you know, here you are, you're in the streets, so much violence, so much drugs, as you said, by just default, you're you're involved in it because that's the only choice you have. I want to ask you, you know, I imagine, thank God I've never been in any situation remotely like this, but I imagine it's so easy to sort of descend into rage, right, into bitterness, into anger, to say, like, it's so unfair that a person of my abilities, my capabilities, has, has to do these things just to survive. Do, do these thoughts of just kind of like lashing out at the world, does that ever pass through your mind? Well, it wasn't necessarily that as much as it was simply for the, the, the idea of surviving. And in that time period, you know, with the influence of uh, movies and, you know, just not having the right foundation, it's easier to succumb to the things that we think are the pathway towards success. And, you know, with lack of real opportunities, education being limited, it, it kind of puts you in a box. And fortunately for me is that I was a, a, a decently educated person and I was able to see beyond or outside of that box. So it was easier for me to escape. But I didn't stay in that box and, you know, confined to anger and bitterness because it was simply me being in, in, in survival mode. Um, but I did learn that there are other ways to survive, that it doesn't have to be, you know, selling drugs. It doesn't have to be engaging in violence and stuff like that. And sometimes if you can't see beyond the immediate environments which may foster those type of things, then you could get caught up in it. And today, you know, the young people call it like the trap. And it is really a trap because you get trapped into that lifestyle. But I'm a student of philosophy and I look back to people like Plato and I'm so inspired by his allegory of the cave. And I sort of look at that like that allegory of the cave is like those of us who grew up in what we call the hood or what they now call the trap and how that is like our cave. And I want to be like the guy who went and said, there's a beam of light. I want to check it out. And he came up out of that cave and it took a little bit of adjustment. But when he saw through the brightness of the light, he he began to see what appeared to be paradise, birds, trees, life, vibrancy. And then he went back in the cave and he started telling people about it. Like, yo, it's more to life than this. Let's go, you know? And it took a minute because they thought he was crazy, but he was able to help 
get other people out of the cave and experience paradise. And that's sort of like the trajectory of my life then and even the trajectory of my life as of present. I love this so much. So tell us a little bit about the amazing work that you do right now. Well, right now, as you see, you know, I was in the cave of homelessness, you know, of just being there, being hopeless, being angry, being depressed, you know, dealing with alcohol addiction and and just going day to day. This wasn't even about survival at this point. You know, I'm, I'm older now. You know, I'm not trying to engage in no type of criminal activity or anything like that. So I'm just going with the flow. But with the pandemic. It sort of like put me in a position, and at the time I was becoming stabilized through services, it put me in a position where I had to not just protect myself, but I had to protect my fellow residents who we were being underserved and non, not protected during the pandemic in a way that I felt we should be protected. And, and so I began to speak out in the shelter about the lack of safety for us because this was life or death for us. You know, it's not a question of sickness or ain't or bad food as it started out with my activism, but this was we could die. And so it started there. And I guess the real catalyst for me that thrust me into this world of adventure was when I almost died from COVID. And and the one dominant thought other than, you know, my children was I didn't do enough good in the world and I've done good. But it was like, I just felt it wasn't enough. And I had asked, I was praying to every God in the book, just in case if I ever got it wrong. <laughs> so I called out every name you could imagine. And I said, please spare me. I want to do more good. I, I, put, I need more time to do more good. And I don't want to leave this earth without having done that. And in, you know, I, I began to practice some breathing techniques and stuff like that. This is why I was like, I could, the life was being drained from my body. But it started to turn around and I could feel the strength coming back. And I, after a while, I stabilized. But when the, the EMT and the, and the nurses there at the quarantine site left, I stood up and I said to myself, I will never waste another moment of life being angry, being bitter, being negative. I felt like there was like something special helping me and guiding me. And I said, I'm not afraid to do anything. And one of the things that I'm going to do is change the things that I see wrong. But I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to do it without fear. And so I was the homeless hero in writing and behind the scenes. But I began to expose myself as a homeless hero to the public. And I do it in such a way where I embrace the humanity of people. I embrace the potential of people. And instead of being negative, I try to take a positive approach to things. And sometimes it can be difficult conversations. Sometimes it can, be, it can be passionate conversations, but I make sure that what I do is intended to bring people together, to elevate people, and to have us work collectively to make our world a better place. And, and, and so that's more of what my engagement is about. 
Shams the Baron, I am so grateful to you for being our guest, but more importantly, for everything that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you, and I appreciate you, and I'm looking forward to more dialogue. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz, and our producers are Dorona Skay, Josh Cross, Robert Scarmuccia, Sarah Fredman Ader, and Quinn Waller. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeonedafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic and we'll see you again soon. Hey.